Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, I'm going to welcome author Denis Fay, who's the author of The BWR Guide to Eating Like a Semi-Pro. The book takes a very practical look at what it takes to maximize your nutrition at gravel races such as BWR or any long endurance gravel race. As you'll learn in the discussion, Denny has a background as a journalist and later spent over two decades at Beachbody focused on nutrition. He's competed in three BWRs himself, as well as many other long gravel rides and cyclocross races. He learned the hard way what not to do in these races, and he took the time to document both the science behind nutrition and what you can be doing both prior to the race, race day, and upon recovery. Before we jump in, I need to thank this week's sponsor, AG1. AG1 is a daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I literally drink this product every day and have done so for many years. I first discovered AG1 back when I was recovering from chemotherapy and radiation during my cancer treatment. I was looking for a nutritional supplement that I could take easily without taking any pills that was going to kind of give me a great baseline to start every day. I can't remember what how I originally discovered AG1. I think it actually was from a podcast I was listening to at the time. But I discovered that AG1 contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients that supports energy, focus, strength, and clarity. For me as a gravel cyclist, I also think about it in terms of my recovery. Many times as a busy person with a family, I'm going out for a ride, put myself in the hurt locker, and I got to go right on to the next thing. I got to play with my son, hang out with my wife, and I'm really not taking care of my body. Knowing that I can just take a glass of AG1 and it's going to sort of pour back in some multivitamins, some probiotic in one simple drinkable thing, I love it. So my daily routine is I get a packet of AG1, put it over ice, shake it up with water, and for less than $3 a day, I take care of my body. It's well worth the investment. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash the gravel ride. That's drinkag1.com slash the gravel ride and check it out today. With that said, let's jump right into my conversation with Denis. Denis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. It's great to have you on. Your people are my people, so um, I really appreciate you uh, checking out the book and having me on. Yeah, I feel like every year I want to make sure to have conversations about nutrition because I think it's it's something that's a very complex subject, yet with the right information in front of you, it's easy to make a plan to be successful during a race like BWR. Yeah. And and there's there's things you need and there's things you don't need and you can kind of start with the basic stuff and work your way up. And it's also nice cuz you, you you learn by doing. Like 
everyone's going to bonk at some point you're going to, you're going to have the worst race in the world and there's no better, there's no better way than to learn than have something horrible happen because it's like, you know, grabbing the stove, the hot pan, you, you don't forget. Yeah. So, yeah. And in particularly in, in these long races, I feel like there's opportunities to feel like crap and there's opportunities to recover from feeling like crap. Yes. It's just about keeping going and making those adjustments to your nutrition to fuel that recovery to get the power back in your system and your sauté. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, it's yeah, especially when you're getting into the hundreds of miles, it's it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to run out of glycogen and blood sugar if you're going hard because you can you uh, can you expend more than you absorb. You don't you just can't absorb that yeah. much. So there's just some things you can do to kind of stave off the inevitable. And I think even in that, even in what you just said, there's an important realization for the listener and that you're not going to stay completely ahead of the situation. It's about staving off the damage and never getting to a completely depleted moment in your, your yeah, day. Yeah. Effectively. But you know, it's, I mean, it's important to yeah. accept that moment because I mean, a really important thing, especially in a, in a gravel situation where there's a lot of thinking you got to do, um, once you're bonking, like your brain needs sugar too. So, uh, you, and you feel miserable and you're probably not making the best choices. So keep that in mind if yes. you're going to bomb a hill when you're bonking, because it may seem like a break, but your, your brain's still trying to figure out how to navigate that thing. So, yes, I've had many of perplexing bad decisions after bonking in a long endurance event, yes. stuff that just, I can't reconcile how I could possibly be so dumb <laughs> in that moment in time. It's because your brain was out of gas. So. Yeah, it, totally, totally. I, one just quick antidote before I want to, I definitely want to get into your background. Um, during Ironman, I remember I had a, a, t a particular time goal that I wanted to achieve and I got so bonked in the run that I could not do the simple math to get to that point and force myself to continue forward and hit that goal which was attainable. It's just my foggy math led me to believe I had more time than I actually had to meet my oh, goal. What, what Iron Man was that? I, I did. Uh, that was Iron Man Canada. Oh, okay. Oh. So I did, I did Canada and New Zealand. I'm probably like losing listeners as we <laughs> speak by admitting to being a triathlete, but I, they were absolutely formative experiences to me from a nutritional perspective. Oh, okay. You know what? Two years ago, I did a half Iron Man in so, you know, and I'd like to do a full, I messed up my shoulder, but when this thing's fixed, I, I do plan to, I'd like to do a full two. So maybe they're just, okay, now whoever was sticking around to listen to me left because we're both triathletes. Yeah. Both admitted triathletes at times in our lives. <laughs> well, let's, let's do what we always do at the beginning of the show, Denny, and let's, let's just talk about your background and how you found your way to cycling. Cause I know it, it happened later in life mm -hmm. for you. And then we'll talk about, because obviously it's germane to the, to the book we're going to be talking about a little bit later, how you found your way into the field of nutrition and how you kind of learned along the way as you did. Awesome. That sounds great. So. Yeah. So yeah. How did you discover the bike originally? Um, a guy named Steve Edwards. I mean, I always rode bikes. I, I uh, heard the podcast a few weeks back, was it weeks back? Andrew Vance was on. He was talking about his banana seat bike. I mean, I had one of those. And then I had a BMX bike. It was a Puch, P-U-C-H. 
It's yep. a terrible bike. And, you know, and then 10 speed and, you know, and um, then uh, in my twenties, I had a diamond back and aluminum mountain bike, but never really took it seriously. Uh, and then uh, in uh, it was 2012. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was 2012. Um, I've always had kind of a, I like to do hard things or, or stupid things, depending on your opinion of me. And, uh, my friend, Steve Edwards, who was my uh, boss at Beachbody, was like, you know, you, um, you'd probably be really good at bikes. And he was a hardcore, um, cyclist. And so he gave me this, uh, CAD four, this Cannondale. It was one size too big. It was like a 58, <laughs> but, um, that didn't matter. I, I, I rode went 20 mile. Well, actually got on the bike, rode here from Redondo to the bridge to the Marina, which was like 10 miles to get there and along the beach. And it was just magic. Of course, it was the first time I'd ever clipped in. So I ran, I rode my 10 miles, got to the bridge, stopped and fell over sideways. You know, <laughs> you got to figure that out. But, um, and it just went from there. I, I, uh, graduated past that bike and, um, the year after that, Steve was like, you know, you'd probably be pretty good at mountain biking. So, um, just showed up at my house one day with a couple of, uh, a couple of full suspension bikes and took me up in Santa Monica mountains. And that was, uh, that was more of a learning curve. That was, <laughs> came home from that pretty beat up, but loved it too. And, and then, you know, along comes gravel and, and cyclocross cyclocross came for me first before gravel. And it's a combination of the two, you know, it's, it's just, it's just great. It's, I, I, I love them both. And, and the, what's beautiful about gravel and about CX, especially when you get into the single speed, but we don't have to talk about that is, um, you, uh, um, you're not, look, I don't mean to disparage mountain biking. I, I have a great, I have a niner. I love it. I use it all the time, but the bike does a bunch of the work, right? I mean, you just, and when you're on a, a gravel bike, and you do something technical, you, you really have to think it's a puzzle. And, and, and I love that. It, it's really, it's just really fun. So. And so talking to you offline, you mentioned that you got drawn into the first BWR in 2014, right? So just a few years after you started yes. riding. So, um, so it happened on my birthday and uh, another, I mean, I, it's just, Steve was just my cycling mentor. That's why he keeps coming up. He died of cancer a few years back unfortunately, but, um, yeah, he was really pivotal to me. And he taught me this thing called the birthday challenge where every year on your birthday, you do a hard thing. And I've done a lot of them. Um, probably my favorite was when I turned 45, uh, a group of friends and I rode from San Francisco to LA in two days, 450 miles. That was pretty cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, but for, in 2014, I didn't have anything planned and the Belgian waffle, which I'd always heard about this legendary ride. Um, well, I'll go back. Can I talk a little bit about the history of the Belgian waffle? Is that cool? Okay. Sure. Yeah. If you like, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. And I think this will go into what you're probably about to describe, you know, Belgian waffle ride was this ride that Michael Marx started and had this sort of local allure of the spring classic. You know, he designed it around, a Belgian classic. And I remember meeting Michael in that time frame, maybe after the first couple of years. And it was just kind of this thing where he was like, Oh, you should come do this ride. Yeah. And it sounded like from, from an outsider, a Northern Californians perspective, it, it would, it just sort of 
grown by word of mouth that this is, hey, this cool, interesting thing that's happening down in San Diego. And then, you know, as we think about it in recent years, it has become this you know, behemoth on the calendar, but yeah, I'd love to get your perspective from back in those days. Well, I mean, it was the cool kids would always do this, right? I wasn't, my, my wife was cool enough. My wife, Marilyn's a, she was, she's been riding forever and, um, she doesn't like it when I talked about her. So I just got in trouble for saying that, but well, well, um, uh, cool kids here in Southern California would do this thing called the French toast ride. And, uh, MMX was Michael Marx was one of them. And then he kind of wanted to kind of elevate it and bring it to the masses and, and add the Belgiumness to it. And so that's where the Belgian waffle ride came, came from. And it was pretty much just a gang of friends that she kind of thing for the first few. And I jumped in on the third one and it was already, a, it was a big show by then. Um, yeah. Yeah. So my friend Kevin and I did it and I bonked unbelievably badly, unbelievably badly. Um, and then, funny story, um, finished, and we and there's a big feed, and and you know my name suggests there's some Frenchness in me, and and I, I uh, so there's there were mussels, which a lot of Americans don't eat, but I, I love them, and I'm just <laughs> so excited to sit there and drink this. You know, it was made in a brewery there, uh, but Belgian beer and eat mussels. I was just so so excited to do that, but. Um, as I was waiting in line, there were these carrots. And so I ate a carrot and I was super hungry. So I ate it super fast. So I didn't chew it very well. And my body reacted. And I, and I think what happened right after, so th this is some advice. Here's an actual item for actionable item for your, your, your uh, listeners. Um, you have these two nervous systems. You have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic and you know, like you have your rest and digest one and your stress fight or flight one. And I was still in the fight and flight system. So di the digestion was difficult. That's why after you do a really, really hard thing, it's a good idea to maybe like a, like a protein shake or something that's just easily digestible is, is, is a solid idea because it just kind of eases you back. Like basically shoving a carrot in your mouth whole doesn't work. And I just started barfing. And, and just barfing. And I, and I, the whole presentation, I was, <laughs> everyone's like, woo, beer, woo, mussels, woo, whatever they're eating. And I, I just had one of the garbage buckets and it just yakking <laughs> yeah. the whole time. So that really inspired me. And it really, and I wasn't supposed to be a nutrition expert at the time. And it really, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And I'm going to, I'm going to help others so that they don't make that mistake. <laughs> Love it. So you went back the next year and the, and the following year after yes. that, did you, did you improve your nutritional performance and physical performance? I did. In those years? I, I, um, I, well, I also, you know, in that first year it was, we didn't back in my day, we didn't have gravel bikes. I, it was just a, it was a Fuji SST with gator skins on it. I mean, it was, I didn't think those were questionable at the questionable tire choice, but they were tough. It's like, ah, that's a work. Um, and so I did get a better, I got a crux and that was a big game changer. Um, but also, yeah, I got my eating right, was very smart about it, regimented and, you know, don't knowing a lot of it's really eating even when you're not hungry. That's a big key to um, and another I, I mean, I eat, you know, prepare beforehand, start eating for your race for, uh, yeah, you know, three or four days beforehand is when you're going to start eating for your your race or your ride if it's, you're going to go hard. Right. And yeah. always eat for future you always eat for you in an hour 
that's crucial. You know, like yeah. how many times you've been riding with someone, you're like, you should eat. And they're like, I'm not hungry. And like future you is going to be hungry, you know? Yeah. I think that's the thing that gets, it. it's so easy to get drilled into you in the triathlon context because you're going to be doing something different. So believe me, I think when I first started training for triathlons, I went to a, a conversation with our, the team I was training with and the, the coach was asking about, well, how do you, how do you eat when you're on the ride? And I'm like, well, I usually do. Nicasio Loop, which is a local loop out of San Francisco, maybe 70 miles from San Francisco. And I said, well, you know, I'd have a couple of bottles of water and, and maybe one nutritional product. And he would just, he just lost his mind. He's like for 70 miles. Cause you know, a lot of that old cycling training, you just kind of went out and did it and you didn't think too yeah. much about it. But when you have to do something afterwards, you absolutely need to fuel up for that next event. But the truth is, even as a cyclist, as you just said, fueling for those moments an hour now from now, two hours from now, even if that's the moment when you're off the bike, is yeah, it important. Is. Well, you bring up a good point, though, about I do the same thing. I'll go out on a I'll go do the donut loop, which is, you know, super long. And I get home and I had like a, a cliff bar at some point and my water bottles half full. I'm like, that was that was foolish. But, you know, you, you just kind of adapt and you learn how to do it. And also. If you're just going off for a mellow ride and you're not going to get up into those higher zones, there's, you know, there, I'm shrugging. I guess I shouldn't shrug. Because, okay. I wish I could make a noise. Of it doesn't translate well no, no. into the okay. audio. Let me try that again. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, if you're not going to work that hard, you're not going to, you're going to be fine. You're probably not going to have to eat that much. And so, you know, I, I do, sometimes you see these, these people, mostly guys, out for their, you know, their 30, 40 mile ride where they're just kind of cruising along, but they're just feeding like crazy. And it's like, that's not, you're just eating sugar. You're just eating candy yeah. right now. You know, don't do that. <laughs> so stepping back, so you, you started your career as a journalist mm -hmm. and then found your way to a company called Beachbody and ended up focused for many years in the field of nutrition yeah. Along the way, as you've just described, you discovered cycling, the Belgian waffle ride, the cyclocross scene there in Southern California. Let's talk about how it came to be writing this book, the BWR, BWR Guide to Eating Like a Semi-Pro. Well, um, Beachbody was a masterclass for me in nutrition. You know, out the gate, even though I wasn't a registered dietitian, I, I had the opportunity to work with them and with scientists and again with Steve. <laughs> um, uh, to, to really learn by doing and seeing how people did and then learn. Um, and then also we, we, we'd put out these programs with these nutrition guides and then we'd see firsthand, you know, working with test groups. And then after they came out, how, how the nutrition helped people. And I mean, it always helped people, but we were able to adjust and fine tune. You know, I got, I had, like, I got to be in this giant research study with like millions of people buying this stuff. Um, and, you know, and have people working for me dealing right with the customers so I could get that feedback and learn. And then by the time I really started getting serious on the bike, I had a really solid foundation of sports nutrition. Uh, so it was very easy for me to just, um, build on that to, to, to kind of include endurance athletes into that, into that fold, you know? 
Um, right. And, and that, that's just kind of, that's what came to it. And, uh, right after, you know, 20 years of beach pot, I decided to go do my own thing. And I, right now I'm a nutrition, I'm a communications consultant. I help companies, um, do their messaging and, uh, um, MMX was just MMX in addition to being a cycling dude is he, he's a marketing self, I don't know what to call it. He's a, you know, like start. he's an entrepreneur. That's the word I'm looking for. And so, you know, ask for, and he's like, oh, you should, you know, a bunch of stuff. You should write me a book. And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he thought I'd actually do it. And I was like, oh, you know what? I do know about that stuff. So, um, kind of used my, my newsletter. Uh, it's called new personal best nutrition as a testing ground to write about different concepts and seeing what connected and what people were interested in. Yeah. And then, built the book around that. Um, and, and then really, you know, when you do, uh, you do a race like that three times in a row, you learn a lot about it. So I was able to kind of fold my own experiences into to what's required. Um, yeah, I think that's really useful. And as, as we may have been speaking about it offline, I think it's just, it's great that these bodies of information are out there because I do think that you can make a plan that will forgive you for some of the easy unforced errors. Yes. Yeah. It's, you know, <clears throat> everyone gets like, you buy these books and they're like 500 pages of you gotta do this, that, and that. And it's, it's, yeah. everybody's different, you know, like, like everybody's body's different. And so when you're planning, what's good for you, the best thing to do is, is, I mean, sweating, for example, we all sweat differently not only do we sweat different volumes, but we got different electrolytes, different amounts. And so you got to kind of listen to what you do. So what I tried to do with this book is give people a baseline. Like you read this pretty short book and then you, um, you have the tools you need to write your own book to not, well, not literally, but you know, you have the tools you need to start experimenting with your body and watching what you do, because there's no book in the world that's going to teach you how to eat, write, for any kind of any kind of sport better than really paying attention to how you respond to stuff. Yeah. And a lot of trial and error as you know, I like the way the book is set up in that you've got sort of the science based first section of the book to sort of establish some baseline fundamental principles, but then you get into very specific ideas around pre-race during race and post-race. And that's the area I'd like to drill in on a little bit, just because I think it's one of those very practical takeaways. Mm -hmm. So let, let's talk about pre-race. And, and there's there's probably the immediate period, those four or five days prior to the race, what you want to do. But there is probably also prior to that, some things you want to think about uh, to, to your earlier point around, you do need to learn these things about yourself. And one of the things I wanted to touch on was just gut training. <laughs> And what that means. I, I love gut training. I, I think it's it's the thing that gets overlooked a lot. And um, I mean, for a bunch of different, again, you don't know how you're going to react to stuff. And then also, um, it, you know, like when you bonk, for example, you know, bonking is when you run out of blood sugar and glycogen. Uh, do you want me to explain that or can we just leave it at that? Everyone knows. <laughs> um, yeah. If you don't know, go ride your ass off for six hours. Don't eat anything. You go, and yeah. You'll figure and it out. And when you hit that point, you're just going to have to shovel 
crap in your mouth that you don't want to eat and drink. You're just going to have to, to survive. So if you're, if you're trained to deal with those uncomfortable situations, it's not going to be quite so miserable. Um, and also, you know, uh, we don't all get to preview our courses. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I've done this where I, I didn't quite know the race, but I knew I needed to eat. And maybe I ate something a bit more substantial than I really should, like a bar or, um, or something. Yeah. And then come around the corner and <laughs> there's just a hill. There's just a wall yeah. you got to climb and your guts competing with your legs for the, for your blood. And it's just, it's just really bad. So if you've put yourself into those situations, um, you're better equipped not to suffer so much. Um, so what does, what does gut training look like from a practical perspective? How would you describe it to someone? What are some of the exercises they might go through in their, their months of training prior to a big event? Well, first of all, don't do it more than once a week. Like, the rest of the time your training should be your training for training. You don't want to sandbag yourself all the time. But but in a lot of ways, it's part of it's like a weekly sandbag or a bi-week, a fortnightly sandbag um, where, I mean, what I would, what I did personally would wake up in the morning and eat like a pretty reasonable <laughs> a bowl of cereal with yogurt and then go for a hard ride. And, and it's, you know, within an hour of, you know, within half an hour of, of that, you, you feel it, you feel that gut bomb. And, and, and what, do you, what are you feeling there? Is your, is your stomach occupying, you know, doing its thing and, and taking energy yes. away from your legs? So you need blood, you need happening? blood to exercise and you need blood to digest. And, um, the, when you are, when you are exercising, the blood leaves your body, or it doesn't leave your body, uh, it leaves, <laughs> it leaves your, your guts and it goes out to your extremities. And when you eat, um, all the blood goes to the middle. That's why when you eat, sometimes you get cold. That's because all the blood has gone down there to digest. And so, um, yeah, you, you know, you eat and the blood's supposed to be down in your gut and then you start writing and the, the blood's going out to your, your, your arms and your legs. And, uh, that can be problem that, you know, that can be problematic. So, but if you've done that a bunch, your body kind of understands what's going on. And I don't know the exact physiology of where the blood goes when you're, when you've got trained. Frankly, yeah. I don't think anyone does. That's not something that, well, maybe there might be a research. You know what? I'm going to research it and see if there's a, a specific study. Um, I do know there's a Japanese study where they fed hamburgers to cyclists right before they uh, uh, exercised and the cyclists got nauseous. And that was the result of the study is if you eat hamburgers before you ride your bike, you're going to get nauseous. I, <laughs> very, very specific. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's yeah. one thing. And, I imagine, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine the other thing, obviously, is just trying a bunch of different foods to understand what works for you, whether it's gels, bars, et yep. cetera, and also understanding that appreciating it for an hour or one hour is one thing, but appreciating it for a 10-hour day is an entirely other thing. And considering you know, what is that mix of items that you're going to be stoked to eat because you need yes. to eat. Yeah, well, there's a couple of nuances to that. One is it's a good idea if you can to figure out who the race sponsors are and figure out what products you'll be eating. Um, it, you know, that's, that's like a golden rule of, of endurance sport is yeah. never eat something new on, on race day, just whether you're a cyclist or a gravel grinder or a runner or a paraglider, I don't know, whatever you are, don't do that. Um, 
so that's a that's a that's a kind of a good idea. Although you know, frankly, we all blow that when we go do gravel races. And yeah, and and if you know, I think that's. I often tend to bring all my own gear, all my own nutrition, simply because I don't want to count on it. But it does become unwieldy if you're trying to take ten hours of stuff out there on the bike, yeah. and it's worthwhile testing out those other products to make sure they work. On the on the, my third Belgian waffle ride, I brought a burrito. I thought I was super clever. Put it in my jersey pocket, and I uh, bit the dust in a sand trap. Landed on my back, and it was. It was kind of a really terrible quesadilla. <laughs> Still tasted good, but it was not. Don't do that. So um, now they have yeah. they have burrito bags now. So you, I think you'd be safe that way. Um, but the other thing to that, yeah, it's a scientific phenomenon called flavor fatigue. It's a real thing. And you just, it's, remember I was talking about that sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system thing? You, you get your stress response elevates so much that your body's like, I don't want to eat. I just want to get done whatever you're making me do. And, um, and it's, it's kind of bad because you're just draining your source. So, so when you get in that state and then again, the gut training can do that. You just, you need to keep eating. You need to, you know, if you, and if you're not going to eat and you're going to bonk, training's a good time to do that. It's not safe. It's not healthy better to screw up on a training ride than to screw up on the race that you've been training a year or two for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How should people be thinking about those two, three day run up to the Belgian waffle ride? What are the things they need to be thinking about? Are there things they need to be avoiding? Um, uh, uh, anything that'll make you sick. <laughs> I mean, a lot of, some people go so far as to say the new food thing is also a good time to practice that. Um, you know, you don't want to be all bloated the next morning. Uh, I, I've given different advice over the years, but my current stance, there's a there's a woman uh, Australian researcher named Louise Burke and, and her, her advice, she's great. Her advice is very simple and that's just, you know, like two or three days before the race, eat a lot of carbs. Um, and again, you, you'll learn how much that that is, but so you have this stuff in your muscles called glycogen, which is like a back of blood sugar. And, um, it kind of fills and, and depletes, fills and depletes, and you can kind of cram it full. Like you can fill your muscles up like glycogen sausages. Um, if you eat a whole bunch of carbs for a few days leading up to your event, um, probably like the night, you know, the night before is a pretty good idea. Don't completely don't eat so much the night before that you wake up in the morning feeling like crap, but, but, you know, eat nice. And then, and then in the morning, before your race, that's not, don't think about like packing it in. Like that's when you're, you're replenishing your stocks and you want to eat smart, sensible food, but you don't want to pork out right. Like, you know, within those last few hours, because you'll just have a stomach yeah. full of food. And as much as I like the gut training and recommend it for training rides, don't deliberately sandbag yourself before a race. As you're transitioning to event morning and you just mentioned, you know, eat a little bit lighter. Don't feel like you need to totally pack it in. Oftentimes with these gravel events, you might see athletes arriving an hour before the event to line up or queue in, in to get a good position. Should, should you be eating during that time period? How close to actually the gun going off? Should you so the general in? rule, again, you as an individual may have, uh, you're going to learn how your body works, right? But the general guidelines are uh, two to three hours before 
pretty good, substantial, balanced breakfast, but like a carby one. So we're talking, you know, oatmeal and fruits and nuts or or pancakes or waffles or, or, or whatever. Now, I'm not talking about eggs and bacon because um, there's no carbohydrates in that. Um, and, and then if you... Um, if you've ha- you've done that, you'll probably be pretty okay. Just kind of keep sipping water. Um, maybe have like right before the start, um, have like a little gel or a little, you can have a couple of dates if you're Mr. Natural, Mrs. Natural. Um, if you didn't do that, if waking up that early and eating that far in advance is an impossibility, uh, um, like an hour before your race, have um, something pretty carby, like a, like the Belgian waffle has waffles. Um, <laughs> so you could just kind of have a waffle then or, or um, you know, a piece of fruit plus. Um, and then if you still didn't have that half an hour, 20 minutes before, like, like, like half a banana, something like that. Um, and good luck. Yeah. And I probably should have woken up a little bit earlier and eaten. <laughs> Once the gun goes off, obviously a lot of adrenaline, a lot of pack riding, certainly in, in, in BWR San Diego, for mm-hmm. example, when do you need to be hitting some food top offs and at what interval should riders be thinking? Um, broken record, but you know, it, it depends on you, but generally speaking, the guideline is about 45 minutes. You should, you know, you should start feeding because yeah. you may not be hungry and you may be satisfied, but during any hard event, you're always eating and drinking for future you. You're not dehydrated. You will be in the future if you don't drink. You're not bonking. You will be in the future if you don't eat. So I personally shoot for about um, 45 minute intervals. Like a lot of people write stuff on their talk tube or they set timers in their um, device to remind them when to feed. Um, yeah. You know, you said you bring your own food. I, 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 I like, I'm kind of cheap and I'm like, I paid this money. I'm going to eat the food that's provided to me, but I always leave stuff in my pocket. I may actually take a few things from the aid table and put it in my pocket. I would never advise that to people, but you know, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm the guy who ends up finishing with stuff still in his pockets because I'm so nervous about not having food available to me when I need it, that I do tend to, I do tend to, uh, surf the aisles of the aid station and grab stuff smart to do one year um i forget which race i was doing but they had uh some big brand had these squeezers like and it was like this marinara sauce it was like a pizza squeezer and they had tons of them do you remember those (laughs) it was a big brand that that does not sound appealing to me i thought it was delicious and i'm like the only one they were there 300 people at this race, no one could stand them. They like gave me a box afterwards because I was talking about how good I thought they were. I guess I shouldn't throw the whoever came up. They went, they, they disappeared next year. I've never saw them again, but I, I yeah. enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we've kind of set the expectation of the goal that we're trying to eat every 45 minutes. I, I love that tip of writing some times down on your top tube or my personal favorite was definitely that countdown timer on my watch just to remind me, hey, dummy, just start eating. Don't mm-hmm. think about it. Um, one less thing to, to, to think about along the way, which I think is a, a yep. great tip. If you do get behind the eight ball, do you double up your feed the next hour or does that just not? Uh, it might. I mean, so, so it's generally believed that humans – 
it's carbs for starters. It's sugar is your friend. You know, all the anti-added sugar stuff, I, I don't disagree with it. But when you're in a race situation, when, you, when you're pushing your body that hard, first of all, sugar doesn't do that bad insulin thing. It just goes, <laughs> goes right to fuel. And two, you need so much of it so fast that sugar is a very, very good thing. Um, and generally they say like you can absorb about 60 to 90 grams. Now they're saying you can train your gut to absorb like 120 grams. We didn't get too heavy into that, but, um, yeah, I would probably, um, um, like if I forgot a feed and went, Oh crap, I'd eat as quickly as possible and probably eat as much as I could without being sick. I mean, don't, you don't want to eat yourself gross, but, but you know, really kind of try to try to get back to where you were and do that. And if you bonk, right, you're, you're doomed. I mean, if you're, I'm sorry, but you, you will perpetually be burning. You know, you're going to just be, your body's going to, you're not going to go as hard because your body won't let you go hard because it's using energy and metabolism that focuses on burning body fat. Uh, and you're just, you just feed as much as you can understanding that, you know, bonk, you have your gel and you're like, oh, I'm fine now. You're not fine. You're fine for 120 calories and that's going to pass pretty quick. So just, just keep feeding and stick yeah. to sugar as gross as it is. Yeah. One of the things you alluded to, which I do think is important for athletes to consider is the type of course that they're on and the better they can understand the course profile or the, the moments of challenge that might be in front of them, the better probably they're going to be at making their nutrition oh, yeah. plan right? Because it's no no good hitting the single track sections in BWR and planning to eat during no. those sections. You're just not going to be no. able and to. And also you don't want to feed and then have to do a giant climb. Like like you, you know, you want to yeah. always be smart. And and I, a lot of those guys mess with you. Um, I mean, that's that's the joy of gravel. I, I love the, I love this, the, I keep saying sandbag, but the sandbaggy nature. Um, there's a really great, um, there's another race um, called the rock cobbler in Bakersfield, Sam Ames. He really messes with people <laughs> super funny, yeah. but, um, but you know, just because you have, you, you're at the aid station doesn't mean that's when you need to feed. That just needs, that just means when you're putting stuff in your pocket for later, like really look at the course map and see yeah. where things are and think it through. If, if you're worried about that. If you're on a sustained climb, do you recommend if if it's a feeding time for you? Do you recommend eating while you're climbing? If you're sort of sitting in the middle of an hour long climb and you're you're certainly not going to get to the other end of it prior to uh, you know. Um, food? That's a good question. I, um, I, I just typically go in the pain cave, which is probably not the best way to do it. Uh, if you think you can get away, with, I mean, if you think you can get away with it. Uh, sure keep it light keep it sugary you know don't don't try to eat like a ham sandwich or anything like like stick to uh gels and goos and things if you think you can yeah. handle it um i mean i yeah. i'm i used to be a good climber before i married a french woman and that the cheese and wine took its toll but um uh my power went up though that's the good news uh what i gained a little weight but um I'm not really a climber anymore, but I really, I do love climbing and I go deep. Like I'm just, I mean, I mean, there's no eating when I'm 
doing those climbs. I'm just, it's about Got getting it. up that thing as fast as I can. So I would probably, I would probably think ahead. That'd probably be your best bet. And then immediately yeah. at the top, you know, cause you don't see the guys in the tour eating going, do you? I don't know. You don't really see them eating going uphill. I don't think that's a thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, it's about to happen. So when we'll, we, when we we'll get, check it out. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. We just got to look, you're, you're going to be there in France this year. So you got a bird's so eye view <laughs> to see if they're feeding. So when we, when we get across the finish line, I mean, I think the tendency is to, at least for me is to grab the nearest beer, grab the nearest kind of crappy comfort food to shove in my mouth. What, what really should we be considering? What's the balance there? Obviously we want to celebrate our achievement, but any considerations nah, we should be having? You, you just did something epic, man. I mean, as long as it doesn't result in you barfing in a trash bucket, it just, just enjoy. Like, like you trained for yeah. months, you, you did the work, you, you just did this hard thing. You like, like, you know, there's that kind of, I don't know if you ever heard of the 80, 20 rule for eating, eating, like that's definitely you're in the 20%. So just, just yeah, enjoy it. Don't the one thing you should not do actually, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take this back because a lot of times you go do those events and you may have driven there and you're going to be really dehydrated and depleted and alcohol is going to hit you much harder. So if you have to drive, be mindful that you're probably not going to be able to hold your liquor very well. So I'd yeah. say that do the one. Yeah, thing. I am definitely I'm definitely one that gets leg cramps after these big events and certainly the alcohol precipitates the arrival oh, of those cramps. Yeah. Well, then you know, if that's no, if no you have your own kind it. of special requirements you should certainly certainly follow those but i mean party as much yeah. as is 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 not is sensible you know you don't want to wake up with cramps or in jail let's just say that <laughs> all right somewhere in between those is your post bwr exactly. strategy no cramps yeah, no the jail. beer is really good but the belgian waffle beer is it's always really good so yeah i love it well i appreciate you you uh putting this content out there for the world. I'll put it in the show notes, links to both the book you've written about BWR nutrition, as well as your uh, personal Thanks, newsletter. Man. So people know how to yeah, get in touch I, with I, it. I, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't deal with uh, individual clients, but I really love answering these questions and helping people figure stuff out. And that, that newsletter is a forum for just asking me questions and, and uh, so that I can explore the situations with you and, uh, and, and help you come up with solutions that work for you. So I hope I can do that. And I hope I, hope I helped people today a little bit um, with some of the, the advice that, that you and I discussed. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for the conversation, Thanks, Denny. Thanks a lot. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Denny. And make sure to check out his book, BWR Guide to Eating Like a Semi-Pro. You can find it on Amazon or direct in the show notes. I'll put a link to his website so you can subscribe to his newsletter. You can check out that book and you can find out anything else you wanted to find out about Denny and his journey. Big thanks to our sponsor, AG1, for supporting the show. Remember, just visit drinkag1.com slash thegravelride to learn everything you need to know about the product. If you're interested in connecting with me, I encourage you to join the ridership 
That's www.theridership.com. That's a free global cycling community where you can connect with me, with Randall, and other gravel athletes all around the world. If you're able to support the show, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. Or if you're able to contribute financially, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Until next time, here's the findings of Dirt Under Your Wheels.